0: السلام <تصفيق> عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد إله Lord الله the لا who is the one who is the one who is the one who is the عليه who is the one who is the one أما بعد one بالله من one who is the one who is <speaking> in the law, <Hebrew> who am I, I cut a whole you saloon, I don't be a year, you had the I'm Ali, he was living with Smeena. Wada, Ali, Mohammed, Ibrahim, Wada, Ali, Ibrahim in the Khamid and Majid, Allah, who mabarik Allah, Mohammed in Wada, Ali, Ibrahim, Wada, Ali, Ibrahim in the Khamid Majid. Respected listeners. For two weeks now we've been (coughs) studying the hadith of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha about her trial when she was falsely accused of the major sin of adultery. This is famously known as Hadith al-Ifq, the hadith of the great lie. And we are studying the hadith from Kitab al-Shahadat, the book of testimonies from Sahih al-Bukhari. This is the third week, and before we continue, since we're in the middle of the hadith, I'll provide a quick summary of the background and what we've covered so far, and what I've explained. Prophet travelled out of Medina in the month of Sha'ban in the fifth year of Hijrah to launch a preemptive strike against a tribe known as the Banu Mustaliq who had been preparing for almost two years. To launch a concerted attack against Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ marched with approximately 700 Sahaba radiyallahu anhum in order to launch a preemptive strike. He met this nomadic tribe at a watering well known as Muraysi and their area of inhabitation was towards the southwest of Medina between Mecca and Medina but towards the southwest closer to the sea parallel to the sea and that's where Mori was as well he, it was a very brief skirmish with minimum casualties only one companion died and a number of the enemy died Following that, the Prophet sallallahu married Juwayriyah radiyallahu anha, who was actually the daughter of the chief of this tribe, whose name was Al-Hadith, Ibn Abi Dirar. A number of events took place, and one of them was his marriage to Juwayriyah anha, and then the freeing of all the captives as a result. Then, when the Prophet made his, began his return journey to Medina, the hypocrites, especially under the leadership of Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, <coughs> they leaving no effort, sparing no effort, and leaving no stone unturned in, in trying to sow discord amongst the Muslims and causing problems. They stoked up further enmity between the tribes of Osam and Khazraj and between the Muhajir companions and the Ansar companions, or they attempted to. And he even made some disparaging comments about the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, And there was a famous story of the revelation of Surah Al-Munafiqun. That was another major incident on the return journey. And then finally, towards the end of that journey, closer to Medina, in one of the last stations closer to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ camped with the Sahaba. And one, as we know, that sometimes he would take some of his wives with him on, on a journey, and on this occasion, in this campaign of Banu Mustaliq, also known as a campaign of Mura Both refer to the same thing On this campaign of Banu Mustariq The Prophet ﷺ took along with him His favourite wife Umm Al-Mu'mineen Aisha And according to some reports Also Umm Salamah When on the return journey They were camped at this One of these final stations Before their return Before their arrival in Medina the Prophet ﷺ had camped when all of a sudden he decided to resume the journey at night. So he instructed that an announcement should be made for people to break camp and resume their journey. When the announcement was made, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, who was in her tent, she decided to prepare for the uh, journey, make immediate preparations following the announcement. She then went to answer the call of nature and went at some distance. When she returned, she perchance placed her hand on her bosom and realised that her precious necklace, precious more in terms of sentimentality, because that was the necklace her mother had given her, when she consummated her marriage to Rasulullah. It was a necklace of Onyx stone. So she realised that the necklace was missing. So it must have snapped. The bracelet the chain must have snapped and the necklace dropped. So she retraced her steps in order to look for the necklace. As a result, she was detained in the search for her necklace. And in her absence, the, those who were tasked with the responsibility of lifting her hoda, raising her hoda and placing it on the camel just before the journey, and also lifting it off the camel and placing it on the ground so that she could embark and alight. Those who were tasked with this responsibility since they would never see her, as this whole incident took place after the revelation of the laws of hijab, they assumed that she was actually sitting in her holder, in her canopied, covered litter. But she wasn't in there. And the reason they never noticed was because, one, she was light uh, in weight. Furthermore, the, the, there was a number of them. So the weight would have been divided, and it wasn't just her weight. In fact, it was a weight of the litter along with the drapes, the curtains and the canopy. So, uh, indeed, they would not have noticed. So they assumed she was inside. They placed her holder on the camel and everyone resumed the journey. She was detained. When she eventually found the necklace and she returned to the area where she was originally camped, in the tent, she noticed that the camp was empty and everyone had left. So it was night time. She sat down and waited, hoping that someone would return from the camp as soon as they realised that she was missing. She then fell asleep. When she fell asleep, she had covered herself, but during, with her blankets, but during the, uh, with her cloak, but June her sleep, Undoubtedly, her she moved around, and the blanket moved, the cloak moved. It was a custom of the armies and of the caravans at the time that they would have a rear guard, and the rear guard would be responsible for following up after the caravan or the army. And ensuring that there were no stragglers, no lost items, no one who had been left behind. So on this particular occasion, the Prophet wasallam had appointed a young companion known as Safwan ibn al-Mu'attal, who was a companion, a pious companion by the words of the Messenger sallallahu wasallam himself, and someone who had embraced Islam not too long before this particular journey. So he had been appointed as the rear guard, sole rear guard. And he came along fulfilling his job in the morning uh, after the break of dawn. And he saw a figure lying on the ground from a distance. So he came closer, that was his job. And he was still on his camel. When he approached and he from above the camel he saw Umm al Aisha radiallahu anha close up and he recognized her since he saw her face and she explains how that wa kana yarani qabl al hijab that he would see me before hijab had been revealed so he immediately recognized me recognizing that this was the wife of the prophet sallallahu one of the mothers of the believers he exclaimed inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. and she awoke hearing his inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. He then dismounted, not a single word was exchanged between them, and he held down the four legs of the camel with his own foot, and she then sat on the camel, without a holder obviously, and he then remained uh, dismounted, leading the camel with the reins, and he resumed the journey. They arrived at the camp where the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims were based, ahead of them. They arrived in the heat of the afternoon. And when they arrived, word spread that Aisha has arrived and she was being led into the camp with Safwan ibn Muaddal. So, word spread, the Muslims thought nothing of it. But Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites, of whom I explained a lot in some detail last week, he, having already tried to stoke a conflict, and having already tried to instigate problems amongst the companions, and failing in that endeavour he saw another opportunity, and this time to, it was his nature. So as soon as he heard that Aisha, anha, or saw that Aisha anha and Safran ibn Muaddar are entering the camp, he immediately began not just insinuating, but rather explicitly making gross allegations against both of them. To the extent where he openly said that he has done this, she has done this, and they have spent the night together. So he instigated this rumour, and then his henchmen from amongst the hypocrites, who had had also joined the believers, and I explained the reasons as to why they had accompanied the Prophet ﷺ on this particular journey, they repeated the rumours. As a result, word spread in the camp. Aisha radiallahu anha was utterly innocent and unaware of all of this, and she merely resumed her place in the camp and returned with the Prophet sallallahu We had reached uh, this point so far in the hadith, so we will continue. الرحيم, she says, fanṭalaq meaning. He continued walking. I, Safran ibn al-Mu'attal, yakoodu bi al leading with me, the with me seated, leading the mount, meaning the camel, hatta al-jaish, until we arrived, uh, until we reached the army. ba'dama nizalu mu'arifseen fi nahri al-zahira, after they had settled in the camp Resting in the heat of Nahar means in the center, or in the height, in the height of the afternoon. Hulakam and Huluk, So those who perished, perished. She doesn't go into detail explaining that, oh, they said this and they said that, because subhanAllah, it's human nature. Why would anyone want to traumatize themselves further? By reminding themselves, even with words and language, of their ordeal. So she says, for and hulak, those who perished, perished. It's a very succinct way of describing the ultimate consequence of and the whole episode. She was innocent, those who spoke ill of her, perished. So for and hulak, those who perished, perished. وَكَانَ الَّذِي تَوَلَّى الْإِفْكَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ أُبَيِّ بْنُ سَلُولُ And the one who assumed the greatest lie was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the chief hypocrite. This is where we start. فَقَدِمْنَا الْمَدِينَةِ Then we arrived in Medina. فَاشْتَكَيْتُ بِهَا شَهْرًا So I fell ill at Medina for a whole month. فِي قَوْلِ أَصْحَابِ الْإِفْكِ Her illness was natural. It wasn't a result of the rumors because she was totally unaware. So it was just the hardship of the long and arduous journey and her fragile health which caused her to suffer this illness upon her return. So she remained ill for approximately a month so I remained ill for a whole month when whilst the people were indulging in the words or in the statements of the people of the great lie meaning I was utterly innocent unaware ill being nursed by my mother in my bed at home and Whereas outside in Medina, the city was full of rumors and people were discussing my affair. And what caused me doubt in my illness or in my pain was that I would not see that gentleness from the Prophet wasallam that, that I would normally see whenever I would fall ill. So it was the nature of the Prophet wasallam to be soft and gentle, to be caring, compassionate and considerate to men, women, young and old alike, even children. That was his nature. And he was such with his wives as well. So she says that whenever I would fall ill, Prophet would take great care of me. And I would see his softness and gentleness. And I would experience it. And I would live with it. So the only thing, if there was any indication during this month of my illness... After my return from this journey, although it didn't lead her to any conclusions, she says, but it did cause me some doubts and concern that the normal softness and compassion of the Prophet ﷺ that I would see whenever I would fall ill, I no longer witnessed that during this month. <clears throat> he would only enter and say and in one narration it says he would only enter whilst my mother would be nursing me he would enter and he would say Salaam, Salaamu alaikum and then the most he would say is kayfatikum how are you la ash'ur shay'im min ذلك hatta naqhat hatta i had no realization i would not i had no realization of any of this until I improved. So she didn't fully recover. Naqahd means I improved. My condition improved. But she still didn't fully recover. متبرزن 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 so I went out. I and the mother of Mistah towards مناصع, a name of a place. متبرزن متبرزن which was our place to call answer the call of nature. إلا إلا we would not go out except from night to night and and this was before latrines were built closer to our homes. And our matter was the Our case was the case of the early Arabs, Filbarriyati or Fitenezzur, in open land or in going out. Let me explain this. All she's saying is I remained ill for a month and then eventually, after approximately a month, when I still hadn't fully recovered, but I had improved considerably, I went out one night to answer the call of nature. And how would that be? She says, in those days, our affair was the affair of the early Arabs, which is the nomadic Arabs. They lived a nomadic existence, and therefore they had no permanent residence. So when they would answer the call of nature, it would be in the openness. And people would just go to a certain distance and relieve themselves. So she says that even then, in the fifth year of Hijrah, we, hadn't, we, we did not have any reserved place closer to the homes, which we used as washrooms or latrines. Rather, our example was the example of the early Arabs, which is that when we would need to answer the call of nature... We would leave the homes and go out a fair distance. So what they would do, they would only go out at night, again, in order to uh, maintain privacy. And they wouldn't go out alone, but the women would go out in groups. And they would only go from night to night. Again, they would eat very little. So theirs was a very frugal existence. And eating very little, surviving on very little, their need to relieve themselves was also uh, much reduced. So they would only go out at night time and each night from night to night, hardly ever during the day. So once a day and it would be at night. So she says that, and they would go out in a group of women together. So she went out one night when she was feeling slightly better, along with Ummu Mistah radiyallahu anha. And where did they go? She says towards Manasir. Manasir was a name of a place, which was in the direction of Baqiyah. So it's in the direction of the graveyard of Baqiyah. The So she says we went out in that direction to answer the call of nature. Who did she go out with? She went out with Ummu Mistah. Ummu Mistah simply means a mother of Mistah. This lady was her grandmother's sister. So, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radhiyallahu an. Uh, this is an important note because Mistah radhiyallahu an played uh, a part in the affair of Aisha radhiyallahu anha. So, Mistah radhiyallahu an was a cousin brother of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, sorry, of, of he was a cousin brother of Abu Bakr Siddiq radhiyallahu an. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radhiyallahu an's mother. And Mistah's mother were sisters. So she was Abu Bakr khala, her khala, his maternal aunt. So he, she went out with Abu Bakr anh, her father's maternal aunt, meaning her grandmother's sister. So she went out with Umm Mistah, the mother of Mistah, towards Manasir, an area in the direction of Baqee in order to answer the call of nature. فأقبلت أنا وأم مستح بنت أبي رحم نمشي فعثرت في مرطها. So I went ahead with Ummu Mistah, the mother of Abi Ruhm. That was her, her name. نمشي walking. فعثرت أو فعثرت في مرطها when she slipped in her cloak. So her cloak had wrapped she had her cloak wrapped around her, but the end must have been trailing on the ground, and she stepped on it, and as a result her her foot was caught and she stumbled. So when she stumbled, she suddenly exclaimed, Faqalat Daisa Mistah May Mistah perish referring to her own son. She said, May Mistah perish so I said to her who was Mistah, Aisha, عنها, her cousin uncle, her father's cousin brother, and the son of this grandmother's sister that she was going out with at the time? So she said, فَقُلْتُ لَهَا So I said to her, بِئْسَ مَا قُلْتِ Ill is what you have just said. Atَسُبْeِنَ رَجُلًا شَهِدَ بَدْرًا Do you abuse, do you verbally abuse a man who has witnessed the Battle of Badr? Why did she say that, witness the battle of Badr? Badr was the first major battle between the Muslims of Medina and the Quraysh of Mecca in the second year of Hijrah in the month of Ramadan, 17th of Ramadan. It was a very testing time because the Sahaba had not gone out with the intention of fighting. They had only gone out with the intention of intercepting a trade caravan of the Quraysh. And when the Prophet ﷺ eventually decided to face the pagans in that battle, the Prophet ﷺ was concerned that the Sahaba, especially the Ansar companions, would not want to participate in an open battle with the pagans of Mecca because the Ansar had pledged to him their allegiance and loyalty and their support but only to protect him and to defend the city of Mecca not to go out and out of the city and actually engage in battle with the Quraysh. But the Ansar, Sahaba, and the Muhajirun, who were with him, they reassured him that they would stand by him and not abandon him. And it was a very testing time the Quraysh came. They were hardly armed, they were weak, impoverished, poor, lacking armor, arms, and few in numbers. And the Quraysh army was thrice the size of the army of the Muslims, fully equipped, armed to the teeth. And they were so confident and sure of victory that they brought along their entertainers and their uh, singing girls with them. Since they were confident that they would score a, a decisive and easy victory and following that they would party in the desert. So for the muslims it was a very testing time and it was a test of their resolve and their will and their commitment to rasulullah sallallahu wa in the face of huge odds and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them victory this whole battle changed a lot it gave credence and credibility to the position of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam it was a watershed and a decisive turning point for the muslims And therefore, from that moment onwards, the Battle of Badr was always celebrated, even amongst the Sahaba, and the veterans of the Battle of Badr were highly regarded, and have always been highly regarded. No one, not even the veterans of Uhud, the second battle that took place a year later, or any of the other uh, subsequent battles, ever held the same position or were ever held in the same esteem as the veterans of the Battle of Badr were. This was their greatest mark. They were known as the Badriyun, the uh, Badri veterans. To such an extent that Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others, they relate uh, the famous hadith of Hatib ibn Abi Balta'ah, not related by him but about him. That Hatib ibn Abi Balta'ah wrote a secret letter when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa marched, intended to march against them. He wrote a secret letter to the people of Quraysh warning them of the impending attack. So as a result, the element of surprise had been lost and it was almost as though the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa plans could have been foiled. But the Prophet ﷺ was informed, so he sent Ali r.a and other sahaba and told them to intercept a woman who was traveling from Medina to Mecca. And she was carrying this letter secretly on behalf of Hati ibn Abi Balta'ah, warning the pagans of Mecca. So when the letter was brought, Hati ibn Abi Balta'ah was summoned and he had participated in the Battle of Badr. He was a veteran of the Battle of Badr. And this was obviously at the time of the conquest of Mecca. So, before the conquest of Mecca, So when the Prophet ﷺ summoned Hatib ibn Abi Balta'ah, the letter was produced, and it was read out in the presence of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Hatib ibn Abi Balta'ah. The Prophet ﷺ, this was treachery. On the surface, this was treachery. So Hatib ibn Abi Balta'ah was given an opportunity to speak. So he's, he pleaded with the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I only did this because I am not one of the Quraysh. I am not one of the Quraysh. He was an Arab, but he was from Banu Lakhm, uh, the tribe I've told you about who occupied the northeastern region of Arabia, many of them who were Christians. So he wasn't of the Quraysh. But since he resided in Mecca, he was attached to the Quraysh and affiliated to them. And again, as I keep on saying, one can only understand the events of the seerah and a lot of the hadith and the politics of Makkah, Medina, when one understands the tribal dynamics. So Hatib ibn Wabi says, I wasn't a member of the Quraysh, but I was attached to them and affiliated to them because of their accepting me. I, don't, I didn't have family. So on this occasion, uh, I didn't have those who could support me. Maybe he had family members in Makkah. So he said that I, had, I, I and others do not have family who can support me and protect me. So I hoped that by doing this, at least they would recognize that I have done them a favor and they would regard it in my favor and they would not uh, persecute me or if... The, or members of my family, etc. So Hatib ibn Abi Bulta, when he mentioned all of this, he further added, Ya Rasulullah, I did not do this as an act of treachery or betrayal, or because of my renunciation of faith, or because of my displeasure with Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Umar was standing there, and he uttered his... Phrase which almost everybody has memorized by now. دَعْنِي يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَدْرِبْ عُنَقَ هَذَا الْمُنَافِقَ Leave me, O Messenger of Allah, that I may strike off the head of this hypocrite. The Prophet wasallam turned to Umar رضي الله and he said, No, O oh Umar. وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ What do you know? لَعَلَّ اللَّهُ قَدْ اطَلْعَ عَلَى أَهْلِ بَدْرِ it is quite possible that Allah has looked at the people of Badr and said to them, Do what you wish for I have forgiven you. That was the rank of the veterans of the battle of Badr. That even on this sensitive occasion, the Prophet responded to this apparent act of treachery and betrayal of the highest order by telling Umar رضي الله No, O oh Umar, he is a veteran of Badr. And what do you know? For Allah may... In this version it says Allah may, but in other narrations, that Allah has said to the people of Badr, "If ma shaitum, faqad lakum, Do what you want, for I have forgiven you. So the veterans of Badr were always held in the highest regard. The highest regard. So Mr. Haradiyallahu anhu was one of the muhajirun who had traveled from Mecca to Medina. Emigrated, and he was also one of the participants on the veterans of the Battle of Badr. So, Aisha radiallahu anha also, in order to describe his greatness and his piety, she didn't say anything else. She said to the mother of Mistah that, that evil is what you have just uttered, that may Mistah perish. Now, why did the mother say about Mr. perishing? Obviously, the mother wouldn't mean such a curse. But the Arabs, like in any language, sometimes words originally may have been rather strong. But gradually, with excessive usage, the meaning or the harshness of the original meaning is diluted. So, even the Prophet ﷺ, he would use phrases such as, "taribat Yadak, May your hands be dusted. Which was originally uh, quite a strong curse, or quite a wrong, strong word of abuse. Or, Waihak, Woe be unto you. Again, it's not meant. And this happens in languages, uh, I'll suffice with giving one English example which I've mentioned before. People say, blimey, which doesn't mean anything. But the full phrase is not just blimey, it's core blimey. Kor blimey. And why do people say kor blimey? He's said very innocently, anything happens, blimey, I saw this, blimey, I did that, or blimey, he did this. But the full phrase is kor blimey. And the original phrase in English, kor blimey, means God blind me. So again, it's one of those, taribat <laughs> yadaq, it's a curse. But through excessive usage and the passage of time, it's lost the harshness of its original meaning. So kor Whenever you, you do, utter blind me, it means God blind me. So here as well, Ummu Mistah, the mother of Mistah radiallahu anha, she stumbled. So when she stumbled, as we are prone to making exclamations, she said, Da'isa Mistah, woe be unto Mistah, may Mistah perish. So Aisha radiallahu anha said, why do you say that about your own son? And evil is what you have said. Uh, do, you, do you abuse a man who has uh, participated and witnessed the battle of Badr? So, Ummu Mistah, replied by saying, فقالت. So she said, هنت, Oh naïve and innocent one. Oh naïve and innocent, innocent one. Have you not heard what they have said, meaning the people? So it's not mentioned here, but in another narration she said, No. What have the people said? So the mother of Mr. radiyallahu she related part of what uh, people had said about Aisha, radiallahu anhumma, which is that uh, some people, the hypocrites had instigated the, this rumor, but it, it caught on that she had committed adultery and betrayed Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa with Safan ibn Mu'attal. So she says in a narration that when she said this, suddenly, فَأَخْبَرَتْنِي الْحَمَّةِ Suddenly fever seized me. فَأَخْبَرَتْنِي Here she says, فَأَخْبَرَتْنِي بِقَوْلِ أَهْلِ الْإِفْكِ So she informed me of the words of the people, of the lie. مَرْضًا عَلَى So I increased in illness upon my illness. فَلَمَّا رَجَعَتُ إلَى Remember, she hadn't fully recovered، so now she became even more ill. فَلَمَّا رَجَعَتُ إلَى so when I returned to my house، the علي رسول الله the prophet Allah's messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم, visits me. فَقَالَ فَسَلَمَ then he gave salam فَقَالَ then he said كيف how are you so I replied, "أذن لي إلى that grants me permission to visit my parents. قالت she says, أريد أن أستيقن الخبر من Min, qibel, min And I, at that time, wanted to confirm this news from both my parents. For لي so Allah's Messenger sallam, granted me permission. فأتيت so I came to my parents. فقلت so I said to my mother، ما يتحدث what are people saying about me؟ فقالت، so she replied. she knew the mother knew. she replied يا بنيتُ، oh my child، Hawini على نفسكِ lighten the load on yourself or lighten the matter on yourself. for Allah for Allah. لَقَلَّ مَا كَانَتِ قَطْ is a beautiful woman. عِنْدَ رَجُلٍ يحبها By a man who loves her. وَلَهَا ضرائر. And she has co-wives. إِلَّا عليها Except that they, they go to extremes against her. سُبْحَانَ So I said, Subhanallah, may Allah be purified of every defiling association. وَلَقَدْ Have people indeed spoken of this? Now, let me just explain that. So she went to her mother, and she went to her parents, and then she first spoke to her mother. And she said, Oh mother, tell me. What are people saying about me? Because in all of this, since she had remained ill for a whole month, she was innocent and unaware of what's going on. But people had been speaking, Mr. His mother was the first one who revealed this to her. And then she came to confirm this news with her mother. And her mother knew as well. So the mother, she asked her mother, "That what are people saying about her? So the mother never repeated what people were saying. SubhanAllah, even in this there's a lesson for us. One shouldn't, just as Aisha radiallahu anha didn't speak explicitly of her own ordeal. She never wanted to repeat the rumor or the lie or what people actually said. It's only by reference and by obscurity. She doesn't want to remind herself and hurt herself or anyone else. We as well, and the mother also. Being wise and intelligent. She never repeated any of the rumours to the daughter. And there in there is a great lesson. One, we need to be careful of what we say to people. Sometimes we tend to repeat to our loved ones and our friends and family what others have said. What does it achieve? He only adds pain. He only com- compounds the problem. He adds injury to injury. He only aggravates pain and it solves nothing. One of the ulama rather famously said, and I'm quoting the words of the ulama, and this is actually part of namima. The Prophet has forbidden namima. And namima means carrying tales and gossip which includes all forms. If one person listens to things here, and then goes there and repeats them, listens to things there, and comes here and repeats them, such a person is an and an amman, a namam And a namam, a tail carrier, and one who carries gossip, will not enter Jannah, in the words of Rasulullah wasallam. And part of namima, part of that gossip and tail carrying, is that we repeat to people what people have said about them. So, People, we all say things about each other. People say things about each other. People have not spared Allah and His messengers, alayhi wassalatu wassalam. So, people have not spared the khaliq, the creator. So, what of the khalq, the creation? We all have things to say about each other. And what good does it achieve to go and repeat the same thing to someone else? He only heard some. So one of the ulama. Uh, rather insightfully said that those who repeat other people's allegations, accusations, gossip, and rumour to you are not your friends; they are your enemies. For if they were sincere friends, they would not aggravate your pain or hurt you. And the best example is if someone spoke of our mother and father, the most beloved people to us. If someone spoke of our mother and father in a disparaging manner, in a hurtful manner, would we go and repeat what people have said to our mother and father? Of course not. So in a similar manner. Anyway, uh, there's a lot. there are lots of lessons and morals from this whole story, which I will, inshallah, explain and go through right at the end. But for now, the mother did not repeat any of the rumours. She simply said, she never told her what the people were saying about her. She tried to explain it away by saying ya بُنَيَّتُ Oh child, it's rare. عَلَيْكِ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِكِ Lighten the load on yourself, lighten the burden. And realize that rarely is it the case that there is a beautiful woman who is married to a man who loves her. And that was the case with Umm al Aisha radiyallahu anha and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Indeed, it would be good to say one or two words about her here. Indeed, she was the most beloved of all the wives to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She was the only virgin and previously unmarried woman amongst all of the wives. All the other wives were divorcees or widows. Furthermore, the Umm al Aisha radiyallahu anha was the youngest. And she was also the daughter of Abu Bakr as siddiq his friend, his closest companion. The one who had been kindest to him in his wealth and in his family. That's why right at the end, when the Prophet in his final few days on earth, when he was ill, And he carefully and very deliberately but slowly ascended the mimbo and addressed the companions. In the final days, one of the words he uttered was that indeed the most favorable and the most generous and the kindest of all people to me in his wealth and in his family is Abu Bakr. And I have repaid the debt of everyone except the debt of Abu Bakr. For Allah will repay it. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذًا خَلِيلًا لَاتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ خَلِيلًا وَلَكِنَّ خُلَّةَ الْإِسْلَامِ أَفْضَلُ And in another one, وَلَكِنْ أَخِي وَصَاحِبِي And if I was to take anyone as my best friend, I would take Abu Bakr as my best friend. But no, I will leave my relationship with Abu Bakr as the brotherhood of islam he is my brother and my companion for allah is my khalil and best friend so ولكن اخوه الاسلام افضل rather the brotherhood of islam is better so indeed the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam highly regarded abu bakr radiallahu an and she was the daughter of abu bakr as-siddiq radiyallahu an she she was his most beloved wife she was beautiful and her mother explained that old daughter, rarely is it the case that there is a beautiful woman by a man who loves her and indeed he loved her the most he did love her the most that's why when he, in his final illness he requested from all the other wives that allow me to be nursed and looked after in the house of Aisha, and her. She was the one who held him in, his, in her bosom. And as she kept on saying that the Prophet wasallam left this world cradled in her arms with his noble head rested between her collarbone and her bosom. So she had that pride of honor and she was indeed his most beloved wife. And the other wives felt this. And repeatedly they would, they, they would send word to him, as I explained a few months ago in that famous story earlier on in Bukhari, that we demand justice in the daughter of Abu Bakr. They even sent Fatima radiallahu anha. And Fatima radiallahu anha came to see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi First of all, they sent one of the other wives. So she came and pleaded, Umm she came and pleaded with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not pay attention to their complaints. So the other wife said, you have achieved nothing, you've done nothing for us. So they then summoned Fatima radiallahu anha. She was innocent, they said, go and speak to your father. We demand justice about the daughter of Abu Bakr. People knew how much he loved her, that's why people would wait until, that that was the background to that story. They would wait until it was his turn to visit Aisha radiallahu anha. Then they would send presents to Aisha radiallahu anha or him whilst he was there. So the other wives felt, why don't people send presents when he is with us? We are his wives also. And do not misunderstand, it wasn't because of their eagerness or zeal to acquire material items. It was a sentiment that we wish to be honored in the same manner when he is with us. So when Fatima said anha uh, spoke to the father, the father of the Prophet said to her, O oh Fatima, do you love me? And she said, yes. The Prophet wasallam said, love her also. If you love me, love who I love. And indeed, she was the most beloved of all the wives. So the mother said, Oh, my child, lighten the load and burden on yourself, and realize that rarely is there a beautiful woman who is married to a husband who loves her. darair, And she has co-wives. illa Except that they... Now here, they does not refer to the co-wives. It refers to women in general at the time. It means people. The women in general, not just the wives. illa أَكْثَرُمَ عَلَيْهَا Except that they go to extremes against her. What, why am I saying this? Because none of the wives ever said anything about Aisha on that occasion. There were some people, men and women, but they were not members of the household. And none of the wives added to the rumors, or repeated the rumors, or believed in them. Despite their rivalry, none of the wives ever Hurt Aisha anha in this regard. So the mother tried to console her and said, This happens, don't worry. faqult subhanallah. So, but, in one narration she says that when the mother confirmed to her what the people had said, she fell down unconscious. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha anha actually fell down unconscious. But when she, it was very brief, When she opened her eyes, she says, at first, I shed tears and I wept. Is she repeating herself? No. A'isha radiallahu anha was extremely eloquent. And she's accurately describing her situation, her ordeal, her plight. What happens when someone is shocked, hurt beyond belief? First, the tears roll down and stream down one's face without any sound, without any overt emotion. It's tears of silent shock. And then the emotions bubble. And then a person weeps. So that's exactly what happened with her. She fell down unconscious. Very briefly, when she gained, regained consciousness, she said, Subhanallah, وَلَقَدْ And a people indeed spoken of this. She couldn't believe it. This is why buhtan, it's a word used in Asian languages as well. Buhtan. Buhtan is an allegation. Even in Arabic and even in Asian languages, the word buhdan means allegation. In the Qur'an, it's in Surah Al-Nur, in the same story, Subhanak, hatha buhdanum azeem. May you be glorified. Hadha Allah in the Qur'an actually indicates to the words of Aisha radiallahu anha. Because when she was told, she said, Subhanallah, have people really spoken of this? And Allah says in the Qur'an, that why isn't it that when you heard this, you said, Subhanak, may you be glorified. Hada bukhtanun azeem. Why didn't you say Subhanallah just like Aisha said Subhanallah? Subhanak, Hada bukhtanun azeem. This is a great calumny, a great allegation, a great lie. Buhtan, as, as I'm sure you've heard in Urdu and other languages, means allegation. Where where does the word come from? Bahat a yabhat, for those of you who know Arabic, means to Silence someone utterly to so, utterly confound and silence someone in the Quran Fubuhit kafar referring to the conversation in which the king was utterly silenced. Fubuhit kafar. So he who disbelieved was silenced. So means to silence someone. And that's where the word buhtan comes from. Buhtan means an allegation. Which is so baseless, so removed from the truth, so surreal, that the only response that the other person can give upon hearing a bahdan is silent shock. That's why it's called buhdan. So, Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha, fell down unconscious. When she regained consciousness, she said, SubhanAllah, have people really spoken of this? And then tears started streaming down her face. Then the emotion welled up in her and she began weeping, sobbing loudly. In another narration she says that my mother was with me obviously, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And then she said, Oh mother, she asked her mother, and she regained consciousness. She said, Subhanallah, have people spoken of this? Then she said, Has the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa heard? So the mother said yes. She asked, Has my father heard? The same, the mother said yes. Tears began rolling. She then began weeping, sobbing loudly. Abu Bakr was on the was above reading Quran. She says, "My father was above reading Quran." Subhanallah. When Abu Bakr radiyallahu an knew this, imagine his pain as a father that his daughter is being spoken of in this manner. What was his response? Aisha radiyallahu anha says he was upstairs reading Quran. Recite. the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, recitation of the Quran. So when he heard Aisha radiyallahu anha his daughter sobbing loudly and weeping and crying, he said to his wife, "What is it with her? What's happened?" And the, 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 the mother said, the mother of Aisha radiyallahu replied that she now knows. So the father Abu Bakr radiyallahu said, tell her to go back to the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So she went back. It's not mentioned here, in another narration it's mentioned she went back. She then continues, فَبِتْتُ تِلْكَ اللَّيْلَةِ أَصْبَحَتْ So I spent that whole night, all the way till morning, in such a state... La yarqa لِي دَمَّعِ that not a single tear would stop from my eyes, wala أَكْتَحِلُ بنوم, and nor would I adorn my eyes with the kuhl of sleep. It's a very beautiful phrase of Arabic. Kuhl is what we apply to the what we call surma in Asian languages. Kuhl is the what we apply to the eyes. And the Arabs have a saying, Kuhl is adornment, it's a way of beautification. So al bin means to adorn and beautify, beautify one's eyes with the bliss of sleep. So she says, la-yarqa'u li-dam'a la ak bin that not a single tear would stop flowing, and nor could I adorn my eyes with the beauty of sleep. She was very eloquent. Thumma asbahat. then I rose in the morning. فَدَعَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم, So Allah's Messenger summoned علي Ibn أبي طالب علي Ibn أبي طالب وُسَامَة ibn زَيْدٍ زَيْدٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا حِينَ الْوَحْيُ When the revelation was delayed. So she had gone to her parents. Remember what had happened? she At night she went out with Umm Mistah. She learned she then, she was visited by the Prophet ﷺ, and she then sought permission to go to her parents. When this happened to her parents, her father said, go back. She came back, the next day. Then she spent that whole night weeping till morning. In the morning she learned that the Prophet ﷺ summoned Ali r.a, his cousin brother, and Usama ibn Zayd and Usama ibn Zayd was the son of Zayd ibn Haritha, Harithah, his one-time adopted son. And Usama was his son. He was very beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He was actually called Hibbu Rasulullah, the beloved of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa Umar ibn Khattab, عنه, later, in later years, he he gave some... He distributed wealth. And he gave Abdullah ibn Umar his son a certain amount, and he gave Usamah ibn an a much greater amount. So Abdullah ibn Umar asked his father that O oh, father, this was when he was Khalifa, that oh, O Father, you gave me so much and you gave Usama so much. So Umar, being as outspoken as he was, he said, yes, the reason is because he was more beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa than you ever were. Just as his father was more beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa than your father was ever was, meaning himself. He was indeed beloved to Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa sallam. In fact, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in one narration, since Usama was very young, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one narration, he told Aisha radiyallahu anha to love Usama if she loved him. That if you love me, love Usama. Aisha, if you love me, love him. And... Indeed, Usama radiallahu anhu was very beloved to the Prophet sallallahu On one occasion he injured himself and the Prophet sallallahu took him in his lap and he was cleaning him up, wiping his tears. He, he was grazed, wiping his blood. And the Prophet sallallahu was actually telling Usama radiyallahu anhu that imagine if you were a little girl, I'd dress you up in this manner and I'd do, I'd dress you up like that, I'd dress you up like this. So he really loved Usama ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu because he was a son of his. Uh, one time adopted son Zayd ibn Harithah. So he summoned these two because they were close members of the family and the household. People who he trusted, people who he loved, people who he hoped and trusted would give him honest, sincere advice. So he summoned Ali ibn Abi Talib and Osama ibn Zayd. When, he, when wahi was delayed. Now subhanAllah, in all of this, imagine, the Prophet sallallahu was waiting for an indication from the heavens. He was waiting for revelation, but no revelation was forthcoming. So since he was praying, he was hoping, and this was the test of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Imagine, he was the most beloved messenger of Allah. He received revelation from Allah. He was the closest to Allah, the dearest to Allah. Yet he was subjected to this ordeal and this plight. He was a man of dignity and honor. And he was hurt in the most beloved member of his household. He was in anguish, and he was waiting for deliverance. He was praying for deliverance, and yet on this occasion, wahi was even delayed for Rasulullah sallallahu wa This was his test, and what a great test! So. The wahi was delayed, receiving no revelation. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam summoned Ali radiallahu anhu and Usama ibn Zayd radhiyallahu anhumah, and he يستشيرهما she says يستشيرهما في فراق ahli consulting them and seeking their advice about separating his family, about separating his Family. So why did he summon Ali radiyallahu Usama radiyallahu in order to seek their advice of what should I do? Should I keep Aisha or should I release her, separate from her, divorce her? And the way she says is, يستشيرهما fi firaq ahli," Seeking their advice and consulting them about separating his family. She never said about divorcing me or separating me. Again, look at her choice of words. She can't bear to bring the words to her lips of the Prophet ﷺ separating her or divorcing her. So she references this by saying, seeking their advice about separating his family. فَأَمَّا As for Usama, so he... Advised the Prophet of that which he knew deep down in his heart of love for them. i.e. the Prophet love for Aisha anha. And what, what did he say? So he, she said, فَقَالَ أُسَامَةً So Usama said, أَهْلُكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ She is your family, O Messenger of Allah. And by that he didn't mean to say that, look, you know, I don't want to get involved. Or it's your family, that's not the meaning The meaning is Ahluka ya Rasulullah The messenger of Allah She is your family I.e., Allah brought her into your nikah You being who you are She is deserving of you You are. She is deserving of you And she is worthy of you So what can be said Of a wife that Allah has brought into your nikah Of that caliber Ahluka ya Rasulullah In that was his own testimony in her favor that she is worthy of being your wife. Ahluka, Ya Rasulullah, <laughs> she is your family, O Messenger of Allah. La نَعْلَمُ wa la إِلَّا illa and we do not know anything about her except good. Why did he ask Usama? Like I said, Usama ibn Zaydi radiyallahu anhu was beloved of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was treated like a family member, he would come and go, he knew the inner workings of the household. This is why he asked him. And he also asked Ali radiyallahu anhu. So for Ali radiyallahu anhu, what did he say? وَأَمَّا عَلِيٌّ And Asfu Ali, فَقَالُ So he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah. لَمْ يُضَيِّقِ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ وَالنِّسَاءُ سِوَاهَا كَثِيرٌ Allah has not restricted things for you, messenger of Allah, and women besides her, Aisha, are many. Here, we don't have the full advice, but we have it in other narrations. He said to the Prophet or messenger of Allah, Allah has not restricted you, so you're not bound to keep her. And there are many of the women that you can marry. So divorce her and marry someone else. And then he can. Uh, I'll explain in a moment. And then he continued. And ask the maid, she will speak the truth to you. The maid was Barirah. Now, on the surface, it seems that Ali's advice was rather harsh. Because he said to the Prophet ﷺ, Allah has not restricted you in any way. And there are many other ladies besides Aisha. So, uh, it's not mentioned here, but in another narration, divorce her and marry someone else. But he also added, and ask the maid, she will speak the truth to you. Were the words of Ali r.a. Uh, harsh? No. We have to understand something. Ali r.a. and the others were witnessing the pain and the anguish of Rasulullah, especially since Wahi revelation was not forthcoming. And so Sayyidina Ali anhu's main concern was the health and the well being and the emotional state of Rasulullah because after all he was a human being. The Messenger of Allah was a human being. Allah says in the Qur'an, فَلَا قَوْلُهُمْ Let their words not grieve you. He would be grieved. He was very sensitive. Prophet was soft, humble, compassionate, and sensitive. He was very sensitive. So much so that when Allah revealed Surah Al-Tahreem, Ya أَيُّهُ النَّبِيُّ لِمَا تُحَرِّمُ مَا أَحُلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ تَبْتَغِي أزواجك. O Messenger of Allah, O Prophet, why do you make haram for yourself what Allah has made halal for you? Why did he do that? تَبْتَغِي Mardata أَزْوَاجِكَ In the Quran it says, seeking the pleasure of your wives, appeasing your wives. And how did that happen? Maria, one of the stories is that Maria, sorry, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Hafsa anha, argued with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, in order to appease Hafsa anha and the other wives, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam went to the extent of saying, and this is the equivalent. These aren't the words, but this is the equivalent of saying, "Okay, okay, I won't do it anymore." That's what he did. He said, fine, to keep you happy. He didn't say to keep you happy, but that was the end result that, okay, I won't do it anymore. So he made something haram upon himself, which was halal. So Allah even told him, O Prophet of Allah, why do you make forbidden upon yourself what Allah has made lawful? And why do you do that? Only because, you seek the contentment and the pleasure of your lives. Aye to appease your wives. He was very soft, extremely sensitive. He was a human being. Allah Allah says, Do not let their words grieve you, O Messenger of Allah. People said things it would hurt him, it would grieve him. So imagine his state. On that occasion when these rumors were swirling around About his most beloved wife So Ali Radiallahu and seeing the state of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And only being concerned for his welfare and his well-being He said, O Messenger of Allah It was the equivalent of saying, we can't see bear to see you like this And for how long can this continue? You will not get, if, if the wahi, the revelation is not forthcoming Then you will not get a definitive answer if the revelation is not forthcoming, then you will not get a definitive answer. We can only tell you so much, a messenger of Allah. We can tell you that we only know good about her. But if wahi, revelation is not forthcoming, and this continues to hurt you, to grieve you and to plague you, then a messenger of Allah, wouldn't it be easier if you then do not, if you then not restrict yourself, since Allah has not restricted you, and you divorce her? For your well-being. This is not to suggest that we accept or believe anything that's being said about it, But in this state of agony and confusion and uncertainty. Because wallahi, this is what doubt does. This is what doubt does. All it takes is for someone to come and whisper something and retreat. That's what's referred to in Surah Al-Nas. قُلْ A'udhu bi Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, النَّاسِ مِنْ Nas, Min الْخَنَّاسِ Waswasil Oh, say, I seek refuge in the Lord of mankind, the Sovereign of mankind, the Deity of mankind. From what? Min Shar, from the evil of what? Or who? Al Waswas Al the retreating whisperer. Al waswas, the whisperer. Al khannas, the retreating. And what's the meaning of Al waswas, al khannas? From amongst the jinn and from amongst the men. It's the waswas and khannas. From the jinn we understand, but from human beings, you know who that waswas khannas is? It's someone who comes. And all he or she has to do is come forward. Cast one word Whisper one word and retreat. Come back, whisper another word, and retreat. That's all it takes. And then that seed of doubt, once it's planted in the mind, there's fertile soil there. Man ruminates. Man thinks, man reflects, man ponders. That one gem and seed of doubt grows, it's fed. It's irrigated. And it grows. It sprouts into a bud. And then a plant. A stem. A stalk. It has branches. Soon it's not just one tree. There's a whole forest of doubt in a person's mind. And it all stems from one seed of doubt. And where did that come from? Someone had to plant it. That gracious farmer was none other than Al-Waswas al-Khanas. The retreating whisperer. Comes Casts one seed of doubt, whispers one word, and retreats. Allah protects us all. Once there is doubt and uncertainty, the quality of life is reduced. So that doubt was there for Rasulullah. Wa he was hearing these rumours. Undoubtedly, one can understand his agony, his pain, his anguish, that he goes to the extent of asking. Ali an asking someone as young as Usama, the son of Zaid, that, what, what do you know, what do you know? Is there anything you can say? Do you know anything? He asked ibn do you know anything? Have you heard anything? Have you seen anything? See the fragility, see the sensitivity, even of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so ali radiAllahu anhu was witnessing this and he felt so concerned he said oh messenger of allah how long can this continue for he never said that i'm par- I'm, I'm explaining that this would have this is equivalent to saying how long can you continue for how long can this go on for why the why this confusion why this pain o oh, messenger of allah allah has not restricted you and therefore wouldn't it be easy if you for your own sake that you separate from this whole situation and you separate from her if this continues but, and this is why I say he did not suggest that the rumors were to be believed in any way because he added, however if you feel that you still want to make further inquiries then the best person to ask is Barira call Barira the maid and she will speak the truth to you she knows you've you've asked me and I'm telling you there's nothing wrong we, we know nothing wrong about her. We know nothing but good. But for how long can this confusion continue? O oh Messenger of Allah, for your own sake, Allah has not restricted you. Why should you restrict yourself? Wouldn't it be better if you separated from her and relieved yourself of this pain? But if you still wish to make further inquiries, ask Barira, the maid. So the Prophet wasallam then summoned Barira. Just bear with me. It's just one more sentence. What happened when she, when he summoned Barira رضي الله عنها? So, فدعا رسول الله صلى الله عليه Barira. So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم summoned Barira. Barira رضي الله عنها was a maid who would come and help in the house of Aisha رضي الله عنها. She was very close to her. فقال so he said يا Barira أو Barira هل رأيت فيها شيئا يريبكِ O oh, Barira, have you seen anything in Aisha which causes you doubts? فقالت بريرة So Barira replied لا والذي بعثك بالحق نين By he who has sent you with the truth Nothing إن رأيت منها أمرا أغمصه عليها قط أكثر من أنها جارية حديثة السن تنام عن العجين فتأتي الداجن فتأكله She said If there is... I have only seen one thing. I have not seen anything which I can criticize about her. In رَأَيْتُ مِنْهَا عَلَيْهَا in نَافِيَةٌ For those of you who understand Arabic. I have not seen in Aisha رضي الله anything which I can criticize ever. Ex- more than the following. More than what? More than that. أَنَّهَا جَارِيَةٌ حَدِيثٌ She is a young girl she is a girl of young age, a very young girl. Tanamu She goes to sleep when being tasked with the responsibility of the dough. fatakulu, So the goat comes and eats it. What does that mean? It's mentioned elsewhere. She says in, an, in another narration, she says, Ya Rasulullah, I don't have anything to criticize about her. By Allah, we know nothing of her but good. She's young, she's innocent, she's naive. And what happened once, uh, the one thing I can criticize is that once I was, um, I needed some dough. And after kneading the dough, I had to go and find some wood to light the fire so that I could cook the bread. So I said to her, look after the dough until I come back uh, with some uh, to ignite the fire, to light the fire. So I told her to look after the dough. When I came back, she was sleeping, and the goat had come and eaten the dough. So she was in, She's naive. She's innocent. That's the only thing I can criticize about her. فَقَامَ رَسُولُ الله صلى الله عليه وسلم So that same day, after consulting Ali, Usama, and Barira رضي الله عنهم, the Prophet الله stood on the member and spoke to the congregation of the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم. We'll end there. That's another chapter. And inshallah will continue next week. May Allah Azza wa Jalla give us the tawfiq to understand the words of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasoolihi nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruk wa natubhi ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq. And has been brought to you by Alcotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044 or by email via sales at Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorised distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.